I'm your host, Rena Friedman Watts, and this is the Better Call Daddy Show. Hey, this is Big Daddy, Wayne Friedman. That's my grandpa. Grandpa, you ready for more daddy drama? My dad is my number one hero and number one fan. And I'm a pretty cool dude. All right, season four, baby, here we go. More stories you're not going to believe. And maybe you will after you listen. Five stars. Five and a half stars, two thumbs up. You are a pretty cool dude. Love you, mommy. Don't stand on the table and damn the public. You'll get some words of wisdom to live by. Here we go again. Better call daddy. You know what your problem is? You like me. Yeah, I do. Each week, I interview a guest, share the stories with my dad, and then he weighs in at the end of every episode with his wisdom and wit. Hey, Grandpa. Everyone from influential players to inspirational fathers, and of course, controversial people. Grandpa, my mommy's calling. Creating that legacy one call at a time. And welcome to the Better Call Daddy Show. Stay tuned. Where's the music? Better call daddy because he knows you best. He's bringing the test. He sees possibilities. Better call daddy, he'll be by your side. Better call daddy, you're the apple of his eye. He sees possibilities. Today, we are going to learn about the art of collecting. I am interviewing the daughter of a collector, Shirley Yu. When her father moved to America, he was a huge Elvis fan and collected Elvis memorabilia. In fact, he changed his name to Elvis and changed her name to Shirley. And now she's a collector of all things Shirley. I met her in person in Houston. We went to a PlantCon convention, which is a convention filled with plant collectors. She started an app for collectors. She is creating her own history and today is a collective of Shirley Yu, Alicia, and me. I'm Shirley Yu. I'm the founder and CEO of Choosy, which is a social app for collectors. I collect plants. 90s Asian comics, and also things named Shirley. And I wanted to find friends who have similar habits. Mm. Yes. The world of collecting is something that I don't know much about, but it sounds like you've been born into that circle. Can you talk a little bit about that? Talk to me about how your dad is a collector. Oh, yeah. So back in China, my dad collected American memorabilia. And back in the 90s, you know, this was actually really rare. Not a lot of Western media came into the Chinese borders. So he collected American memorabilia. And when we came here as immigrants, he named himself Elvis, and he named me Shirley. When we got to pick our American names, he had posters, you know, CDs. Is it Elvis after Elvis Presley? After Elvis Presley, yeah. Was he a fan? I mean, is that how he found out about Elvis in China? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So so through music. Through music. He would have, like, the box sets of Elvis, you know, posters, you know, shirts, Mm -hmm. merch. And I would say Elvis is his favorite, was his favorite musician back then. But we also had 
had Beatles stuff. We also had Simon and Garfunkel. And, you know, he's this one man in China that collected all this American music stuff. Mm -hmm. And he really loved, like, classic media. So the older stuff. So not the 90s stuff. Not really Mm -hmm. the 90s or 80s. But, like, going back to Elvis and before that. So Shirley Temple. 50s, 40s. Is that that the time period? 50s and 40s? Yeah. Yeah. For Elvis. 60s maybe a little bit of that with the Beatles. Yeah, exactly. Like a generation before his time. The Shirley Temple box sets, too. Shirley Temple box sets. Yeah, 40s, 50s. I guess the most popular American symbols from that time. That's the story of how I became named Shirley. It's because my dad's passion, my, Mm -hmm. you know, excitement, and just being, like, one young Chinese guy in China with, like, all this American enthusiasm. It's very attractive, I think, to people from outside of America to, to, you know, those those icons, those American icons that I think we take a little bit for granted here because we're like, oh, yeah, everybody knows about Elvis. Oh, yeah. But for them, it was something else. Like, my dad's love for the Beatles was transferred to me in the 80s because then I became a huge fan of the Beatles because he learned English by singing Beatles music. And that was something that my dad, like, you know, Paul McCartney was his favorite because, you know, they had their birthdays, like, very close together. Like, it was, like, this big deal. And he was 18 years old when he came to the United States, you know. He was already born here, but he went back to Mexico and then came back. And so the Beatles was, like, his thing. And so I became, like, a huge Beatles fan because of my daddy. So that's interesting how you have that connection as well. Yeah, absolutely. It's, It's absolutely something completely different mm-hmm. so he you know dreamed of coming to the u.s mm-hmm. you know he was, sings country for fun you know i think for him it's even more than that it's i don't know this space yet but through this like i know what it is and you know feeling the passion and just like being that's the one thing about collectors it is a passion community you know these items are not just items we have attachments to them we have stories about them yeah, that's actually something that I really like that you said in that other STEAM interview. You were saying that other people's garbage can be your treasure and that if you take these items and you learn about the history of the items that you're then possessing, it's a further continuation of this gift that you're taking from someone. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I think that collectibles, what's missing in collectibles is the collector. And the collectors taste their style, like why they started collecting this in the first place or what it means to them. I think that's where we can add and collaborate together, you know, socially. Here's a really good example where let's say that we have a letter from Napoleon. Somebody found it in an estate sale or while they were browsing in in Europe or something. Let's say it belongs to a collector who really loves French history. And then, you know, sometimes items sell from collector to collector to collector. Mm -hmm. The next person who has it might just be a really, you know, knowledgeable about Napoleon. The next person that has it might be really knowledgeable about handwriting. And each person has a story along the way. It joins a new family of things. It joins a new breadth of knowledge and passion. So my dad, I just in Dallas, actually, I just met this Uber driver who was a collector of like vintage trading cards, you know, and he had Elvis cards. He had a a bunch of cards that were, and I didn't even know Elvis had like trading cards in his merch. And he showed me pictures of, of Elvis cards. And I was like, I literally, I I might want that. Is it for sale? He's like, it's not for sale. Not in my collection. I'm like, 
yeah, but you showing me that and just telling me how that fits into your world made me like relate it to my world. And it made me think of my dad. And I'm like, okay, so if you ever did market for sale, I would so buy it because Mm -hmm. like I know that it would add to my dad's collection. And also I even told him I might start my own Elvis collection. Right. right? Yeah. It'll be narrower than just American memorabilia in general. It will just Mm -hmm. be Elvis because that'll just be a collection that I have with my dad. So Shirley, when you guys buy collectible items, who gives the valuation on these things? How do you decide how how much you really want to pay for something and like how do you value all of these things like collections are very difficult to evaluate right of course and i do think that there is like first there's like that monetary value there's that given value you search for something on ebay where can you find it something has limited edition you can see comparables so that's okay. how you see it but the how much people value it sentimentally i would say that the person who has the need collection, the weirder collection, tighter thesis, tighter Mm -hmm. criteria around what they collect. For me, Things Named Shirley. I have a Things Named Shirley collection and my handbag, Stoud makes a Shirley handbag. Hamilton makes a Shirley pocket watch. Over the years, all these vintage brands have named things after women and I've never met like young Shirley's. I've only met like older Shirley's, old ladies named Shirley. Yes, you know what? She's right. I don't know any young Shirley's. But back when the Shirley were younger these vintage like these brands from yeah. back in the day would name the stuff over these popular like it girl women's names right. and so Shirley was cool back in their day mm-hmm. so I have a collection of things named Shirley so if I'm buying a Hamilton Shirley pocket watch I am going to be more motivated to buy this than just a regular vintage collector I will be more motivated to buy this than just someone that collects pocket watches Mm -hmm. because it's specifically I might not care that it's just like a pocket watch I care that it's named Shirley so I think that two different collectors can weigh almost have a different valuation system and I don't I don't think value is particularly monetary necessarily the word Mm -hmm. value in general I think it's definitely as valid to go this thing is valuable to me it's like on the in the eye of the beholder Yes. How they see something and how much they value it. There's nostalgia behind it. There's experience. There's history. It might be something that you played with as a little girl and then you find it later on in the future. Do you collect anything, Rena? I had a penny collection, but it's just in a shoebox, I, I think, in my parents' house. Know. That's a collection, even if it's of, of different pennies, all the, the, the different kinds that were minted, if you see a different one. Different years. I always like to go through and see which years I had. Yeah. Yeah. I was at Collect Tech Summit in Dallas last week. When people say, you know, collectibles, I often think, even in the tech space or when I'm trying to explain collectibles in general or collectors, a social app for collectors, I often stray away from saying collectibles because I feel like collectibles has a capital C attached Mm -hmm. to it, right? Mm -hmm. There are those things with high monetary value, things that people look at as investments. Yes. But people, our founding engineer collects restaurant menus. People collect playbills, concert tickets. The social value of collecting is the passion. It's that we have common habits. And this like individual journey that we go on that when I see something and it gives me that sparkle in my eyes, I like knowing that there are a bunch of other people who have the same habits. I want to know what all of these rare people are scouring the world. Rare people who like me, who are like me. 
Oh my God, my grandmother collects dolls. She loves looking at them. Her entire television is surrounded by Cabbage Patch dolls, by Barbies. They bring her so much pleasure just to look at. Yeah, literally. The creepy dolls, Victorian dolls, Barbie dolls. There are so many segments of the doll community. I can go to like one club or, or like online community and even if it's just doll collectors within that, there are so many different people that are like, if I could show you my collection. There's subgroups under subgroup. It's like a subcategory to another subcategory until you get to like a little tiny thing and you're like, oh my gosh, you collect them from like a very specific place or like, yeah, it's like people who who collect like porcelain, right? There's also that kind of thing where they only collect it from a certain part or a certain manufacturer of porcelain, that kind of thing. Collectors help each other out too. Like when we're like, well, I want to add something new to my collection or something like Mm -hmm. I want to actually get rid of something from my top shelf, but I want it to go into a new home. We help each other all the time. We try to find that person who's like, I'm going to give this a good home. I mean, yes, we could just like throw it up on eBay and see what bites, Mm -hmm. see it go to like page 100 in like a day and not do anything and wait for that person to come find it. But if sometimes if we're trying to clear out, because for me, I already have something in mind. So mm-hmm. if I want to find a home for something, rehome something from my collection, I kind of want it to happen a little faster. Right. But I still want the satisfaction of it going to someone who loved it as much yeah. as I did. Love- that was one of the insights I had when mm-hmm. I built this app was that there are fragments. People are not finding these invisible connections. So one of my friends in New York, Richard, collects New York City subway signs and maps and vintage poker chips. So he has a New York City subway sign flushing into Queens. It lights up. It's it's real. It was in use, but it is now out of use. It is like worth, well, he's selling it for $1,300, this vintage New York subway sign that was actually in use. That's the thing is like he might be in a map collector's club might be in like a right. reddit group just for people that collect maps what about the people that collect new york city history or mm-hmm. queen's history or the people who collect transit memorabilia in general people who like subway trains of the train right. community train community subways so there are all of these he's in a group that collects signs and maps just in general, but what if there are these subgroups in other communities or people who just like New York City history? And I find that the old way of we collect coins and we meet every other Thursday, that's awesome. What if one person didn't just collect coins? They, you know, collected all of the different things from one decade. And some of those things are coins. I have coins with every president on them. My grandma bought those for me. That was one of the first things I collected, too. I had one of those books, and you could put quarters in them. So fun. Did you grow up going to flea markets or yard sales? Where did you start getting things from? So I definitely did. My mom loves to haggle, and my mom loves to... Like, she's like a bargain shopper kind of person and loves to bring random furniture back that catches her eye. She, I yeah. think she likes the process as mm-hmm. much, too, like haggling with people and then, like, you know, like, like looking really closely at things. Mm-hmm. So definitely grew up, like, thrifting, estate sales, only because I think that it wasn't really about the stuff. It was just having fun with my mom. Yeah, the journey, right? The chase, looking for that hunt. 
more people have like engaged with this than even is conscious. I've actually read that, well, as we were doing research for the app, I read that one in three people are a collector of something, collect something as a habit, not just as an investment, not just, you know, like consciously, but as a habit. That's also like, I get one of those landmark pennies every time. One of our first actual angel investors was like, you know what, I, I buy one of the accessories from every country that I visit. So if he's in Peru, for example, yeah. this is a scrunchie. Or if he's in Japan, it's like this, maybe it's a bracelet. My grandma likes plates. Yeah. From every country. Yeah. Interesting. Plates from every country. See? No, she, I wouldn't say that's a collector with a capital C, but that's somebody that collects something. Yeah. She has a whole like China cabinet full of collectibles. Yeah. But even collections can be very expensive. Like there's people that like collect like vintage wines and they like wait for like the perfect moment to like, you know, bid on them and they're expensive. So even some passions or some collections can be quite expensive, right? Yeah, they can. I, they definitely can be. And of the people who have like more high-end collections mm -hmm. one of the things that i found is like so on on choosy every time you find something new and you add it to your collection you send out an update and we update similar collectors like you who have similar Ooh. collections to you because you really only get clout from the people that you know know yeah. with plants having an albino plant a plant with albinism is a big flex that's because they're harder to take care mm -hmm. of and they're rarer Very it's a, rare, it's a yeah. mutation so you can't really predict getting albino leaves from albino parent plants. Very much so like, you know, purebred pets. The more rare, the more valuable, basically, right? Exactly, exactly. Yeah. It's like with anything. Yeah, of course. So the, then the people who like albino plants, the people who like rare and exotic plants would then get my update. My cluster of collectors would get my update and then it would inspire them. And then we would I would see which ones, if they got some, which ones they would find. And so in the app, in the Choosy app, there's an analytics component to it. Then it's like it tells you, you, or it says like, Alicia, you love vintage dresses. Shirley's putting a vintage dress up for sale. Is that how it works? And then I would say, oh, somebody's putting up a, let me go look at that because that's something that I'm very much into. So the great thing about the tech that's available now, like what we try to do to push this space for forward is letting the context around how you collect help you find not only friends but new things that you might be interested in like what's in your collection that you don't have yet mm -hmm. but like that you would love right. like what is your criteria for it is it vintage dresses or do you gear towards like white ones or you gear towards like, like a certain purple ones or a certain mm -hmm. designer mm -hmm. right. if you told a story so for my things named Shirley collection I write a lot of context as if I am my own museum, roadside museum, and I'm writing like these plaques. So of my th things named Shirley collection, I write about how my grandmother used to sew my American name into my clothes, my mm -hmm. bears, my, you know, my, write it on my lunchbox. And she would put my name with my Chinese name and my American name on everything. So I would get used to it because I was raised with my grandparents in Beijing, you know, as a child. And then I came here in 1998. My grandma brought brought me here after a couple of months she would leave and go back to China and then I would stay here with my parents mm -hmm. and that's was transitioning me from Beijing to a life here in America so it was really important to her that I knew my name and I got used to it so and is this your dad's mother or is it from your mom's side 
From my mom's from side. From your mom's side, okay. My grandma from my mom's side was who I lived with in Beijing oh. from when I was born to when I came here. And my parents came first before me, a number of years before me, so they could find jobs, get established, get permanent residency, etc., and just like get their feet wet here. They moved to Brooklyn's Chinatown and they wanted to have some things figured out before bringing me here. So my grandparents helped raise me. But when it was time for me to like, okay, you're going to stay in America now. That was when she started writing my Chinese name and my American name on everything. And I have this attachment to Shirley, not only because of why my dad named me Shirley, but also because I would look at, you know, my grandma's writings or her sewings, my name. And when she left, I would think of her when Mm -hmm. I saw my shirt that said Shirley's on it. Yeah. That's so powerful. It actually reminds me of, I met this homeless girl. She was sitting at a train station right after I had gone on an interview and her sign said I need a new pair of shoes and a pair of pants that she had just gotten a new job and I was like I need a new pair of shoes too and so we walked across to Old Navy and I bought her a pair of shoes and me a pair of shoes and I was like when you wear yours you can think of me and when I wear mine I'll think of you isn't it crazy how just one item can be so special like that Mm -hmm. like sisterhood of the traveling pants was like that you know these things have their own like a life almost Mm -hmm. and you know what I never thought that anybody else collected like me like that's an emotional satisfaction kind of reason that I collect things named Shirley that when I see something and I'm like that's a Shirley item I can't resist it I must have it actually in in New York there's a group of people called the Ryans they have Ryan themed parties every month they throw a Ryan themed party some of them have a lot of Ryan themed stuff and so the context that Choosy uses in terms of like finding why or trying to analyze and predict why somebody is collecting or what is common between all of their items. Mm-hmm. It's because collectors named Shirley are not like my brethren and sisterin per se. It might be people who have other attachments to their names or other attachments to certain names. Yes. So we look for like the stories posted with each item or posted when they start each collection if they're uploading a context around it. And we try to think, well, this is somebody who has an attachment to their name or it might not just be like look these are bobbleheads trading cards we could be like this person really likes the new york mets so yeah when you see elvis things what does that bring up for you when i see elvis things i want to ask the collector how he got into elvis Mm -hmm. i also want to ask like it brings like this i think mental connection between me and another collector and that makes me want to ask about how they got into it themselves So it makes me feel warm as the second I meet them. You feel like you know them, like you know something about them, or you speak some sort of same language in terms of like how passionate you both are in collecting or or, or finding something that's special and really like holding on to it and like saying, I need to have that. Like Collectors are not just, for example, like I think that there's a lot, a misconception, especially around collectibles, that we're just consumers of things, right? We just buy things and we're just like hoarders who have to buy things. I don't look at collectors as just consumers. We just take things and 
keep them. I look at them as creators too. And I think the important thing is because we can connect to each other's stories, we can be curious about each other. It takes some amount of irrational fervency to, for, to pick this as your hobby. And so what, what moves you? And when I hear about someone who has Elvis things in their collection, I want to say, well, what moves you? Tell me the story of your whole collection. I'm also really curious about your life back in China. What do you remember about that time? I remember a really peaceful time. My earliest memories of living with my grandparents in China. Well, one, I mentioned this on the steam-powered podcast as well, but I come from a background of scientists. So, so I have a set of grandparents. One worked at a STEM library. The other one was a a nuclear physics professor. My uncle now is an astrophysicist in Beijing. On the other side, my grandpa was in the army and he traveled and he was the one with the artistic bent. So one of my earliest, my mom's side, my grandpa, he would document and he had a stamp collection. He had a stamp collection where he would, every place he was in China, he would get like a book of stamps. He did photography, which became my profession, photographing magazines in New York. Wow. My early memory in Beijing was the Cherry Blossom Festival when I was three and my grandpa bringing out watercolors and teaching me how to watercolor eventually like bringing out his film cameras and teaching me about photography in terms of what we have in America now it is also my grandpa's stamp collection yeah that we were able to keep wow I bet that's pretty valuable I mean he collected for a long time he collected for a long time and I I can remember so we have about six books of stamps and these are not just like vintage stamps these are from regional China. Like, if you think about all of the upheavals that China has been through, people got their mail. But through the decades of, uh, if in different regions in China, they have different artwork on them. You know, they have different messages on them. And you could sort of see China different based on the artwork on the stamps. Yeah, the evolution of a country based on their stamps. What happens to the things when that person dies, though? What happens to their collections? What if they didn't leave their collections to someone specific? What, exactly. What happens to all of their stuff? It's actually so sad that so much of these treasures are being lost or just thrown in the garbage. And I, w- one of the things that really helped me to get started on this app during COVID, I went, I was just throwing away garbage, and I went to the garbage room in my building. And I live in a I live in a very Cuban neighborhood in New Jersey. Union City is called Havana on the Hudson. Outside of Miami, it's the largest Cuban population. So I found boxes and boxes of vintage Kodak transparencies. And they were labeled 1952, 1956. There were, I looked at the transparencies and transparencies for film photography are very cool. Like they're not just like files you can get millions of photos out of it's physical it's anyway so I looked at them and I looked at the boxes and the labels on the boxes and these were beach and city scenes from 1952 to 1958 spanning the Canary Islands spanning Havana spanning Miami Union City so many of these spaces don't even look like that anymore and these were just they were film negatives they were transparencies was documenting history at some point, right? And then they probably passed away and their grandkids probably thought that was just trash because they didn't understand what grandpa was doing. And these things, you know, you put it on eBay, they are hard to sell. You know, some people don't have time to babysit auctions because they are dealing with grief already. 
they are dealing with, you know, having to process not only like mentally, but also the physicalities of the things that our ancestors Mm -hmm. or our family members have left. So it's not like you want to make it your full time job to start being like, oh, this is worth this. This is done. You know, you just want to move it. Not to trivialize what you're saying, but like me and my husband furnished our entire first place from somebody passing away. And it was a second marriage, parents of a second marriage. And, Mm -hmm. you know, the guy didn't want any of it. And he was like, any young couples in the community like need things. Come on over. And so we were like, oh my God, we would love these things. There was beautiful art and tables and we furnished our whole first place like that. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's beautiful. I remember like putting up, I remember trying to find somebody who wanted them, you know? So specifically, I started looking at Facebook groups, Reddit, subreddits for vintage photographs. The thing is like these things are chronologically sorted. So whoever sees it at any given time before it's on page 20, you know, it didn't really have that context of like who would actually want this. I was just shouting into the void. I have this. Who wants it? I eventually dug into some blogs, tried to find vintage photography bloggers who had collections, private Mm -hmm. collections. After three weeks of digging, I found someone who specifically collected vintage photographs of beach and water scenes. Not only did I have that, these were like spanning like six different countries, cities, you know, in Latin America, especially. And, And they were like, this is a treasure. Like how many hundreds do you want for it? And I'm like, literally everyone like, a bajillion people thought this was trash, including finding it in the actual dumpster. But the one person who had a collection of vintage photographs of beach and water scenes thought it was literally like I could have found diamonds, I could have found gold. So this is the passion that you're talking about. This is me feeling extremely satisfied that Mm -hmm. I I saved this from the trash. Mm -hmm. And now it is, it's literally behind glass somewhere. It's literally like that means more to me than actually even getting the money for it. It means more to me. The the fact that that somebody will keep this for a very long time and I kept it out of the trash. And so when I think about the best thing that, you know, we're working on for Choosy is, you know, maybe you're not a collector or maybe you're a former collector or maybe you don't really have that much of a connection but if we can be aware of what collectors are collecting and you could just drop in these things that you don't know what they're valued you don't know what they're worth even if you don't know what they're worth you just need somebody to take them now maybe my friend kim her thesis is vintage 90s stuff that is very like cute japanese right it could be sailor moon trading cards but it could also be like ceramic angels it could be weird kit kat flavors that are japanese and one of the things that i want choosy to be special for is not lose you know, when collector passes to collector, passes to collector, or when we acquire something, mm-hmm. we don't want to lose the stories along the way. We always want to know what and why it joined a certain family of things. What did a collector want with mm-hmm. it? Why did they love it? And then, you know, even if it's not with the collector anymore, then we have that history of almost like we are our own personal museums too. If you're thinking about things that are worth collecting, a lot of them, not all of them, but a lot of them are going to be time limited or once you know limited edition even restaurant menus that menu doesn't exist anymore from when 
this is like Anthony Bourdain, at, like Le Howells, right? And, you know, that week's menu or something mm-hmm. like that. A lot of these playbills and things like that, these mm-hmm. experiences are temporary and these things are evidence that they happened. And things are being digitized now. I mean, I've gone to restaurants where the entire menu is on yeah. an iPad. Yeah. In like the day and age where everything is digital, the things that are tangible or at least us like adding something different in the digital world, right? Us helping stay connected for longer, helping us stay closer with our authentic relationships or making our relationships with our things more emotional and like even like less transactional even. I think it's interesting that photography played into your creation of the app because photography was also something that you could have chosen as a career. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. It is funny. I spent like a, almost a decade of my life as a photographer before founding this app. So I worked for an executive portrait photographer. I opened my own studio in New York where I did environmental portraits and also still lives. So concept-driven still lives. I was essentially with environmental portraits, with conceptual still lives. I was taking photos of people and their things, telling the stories. I went to Gloria Steinem's house to photograph her vintage photographs on her mantle. The New York Times sent me to go do that. That was my specialty. I would go to, I don't know, photograph homes and portraits of taxidermists, of artists who work with food. So it was my specialty that I shot for magazines was tastemakers, photographs of them, photographs in their spaces, and I would zoom into still lives where I would photograph the things that could show who they were and what they cared about. That was essentially like, I was known for that in New York, I I would say. I have always felt really connected to people and their things. If I was going to shoot a portrait, I almost never just shot the portrait. I would find the details. I would find an accessory they were wearing. And if I was shooting them in their house, why bring like a studio when I just scout around their house and be like, you know, that's an interesting corner. I had my studio in New York where I worked for magazines, like New York Times, Wall Street Journal, Business Week. And I would tell those stories, do those environmental portraits. But then at one point, I also had a period of time where I worked for a startup a startup in New York called Jet.com. And Jet.com was, it was really interesting. I was working as an in-house photographer. Jet.com was like two-day delivery for New York. Fully focused on New York, it was... And that was the differentiation, right? Two-day delivery of things, like there's Walmart for that. There's Amazon for that. But matcha bar, bottled matcha drinks, or Rouse sauce, or big gay ice cream in their tubs of ice cream. They had all of these heritage New York brands, right? These things that were in the know for New Yorkers. And they would deliver like staples, right, from to New York, like from New York, Mm -hmm. essentially. So my job as in-house photographer, I would go to tell the stories of, you know, the matcha, the matcha bar drink, or I would go to the big gay ice cream photograph, the, the team, the space, the, the ice cream in where it lives. So I was telling brand stories and that's, that was my profession too. So on the commercial side, like I wasn't just going like, bam, this is a thing and this is what it'll do yeah. for you. I went like, where did it come from? And like, why did somebody make this? And like, who is behind this? I think the next generation is not like, we're so used to just this corporate transactional like relationship. Everything is like a utility. Everything is like an efficiency. Right. And I think that there is like a return to like, you know, the art 
artisanalness or like tangibility right. wanting to feel as if we're shopping from friends or finding brands at least when i shop i like to learn the story and history between my shop because i'm making a statement or mm-hmm. like i'm making i want some sort of emotional attachment because i'm buying right. things and i want buying things to feel better i haven't bought fast fashion in a really long time when i shop for my closet and i'm very curated about my closet too as long as i can remember i've been all pre-owned and secondhand one because it's cheaper and being a young person in this economy is expensive. Two, also, I've always found that, like, you know, there is something nice feeling relaxed fit, something about something that's been loved for a really yeah. long time. It's almost creepy when when something's, like, n- brand new and there's, like, a this is a brand new smell and this is, like, it's never been crinkled and you're the one crinkling it. And I'm like... Yeah. It almost like feels better to be the continuation of a story. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting because some people that I've met that don't want to buy anything that's like used, they're like, no, because somebody else already wore it and they've already got their energy on it. I'm like, what if the energy is great? What if that person loved it? What I mean, it's yeah. always like there. there's always something good to it. Like it's not necessarily negative. They're like, no, they already sweat in it. But I said, what if they sweat when they went to like their friend's party and they had a great time? I mean, like to me, it's like, like you're like looking at things in the wrong way. You're not looking Do at it. Do you think about that? though like you know it's like having a lucky outfit yeah. or you know buying something from a divorce you're like yeah take it to the cleaners yeah no I definitely but yeah I'm you're not, like oh, burn I, some if, sage yeah, I'm wearing yeah, if that it was something that was negative I definitely wouldn't want to swap it or give it to anyone or thrift it you know and people are adding like different kinds of energy and that sometimes I was a still life photographer you add like weird like pl- things from all over you curate things and then it becomes something completely new so yeah. maybe there I never think of something as just like completely black and white too so even if it was like oh there was negative energy but it was also like very cool independent like witchy like awesome energy as well and I'm like then I add my energy to it it's never negative it's positive it might be a sum of parts and I kind of enjoy I I really enjoy that back in New Jersey my one of the designers on our app is in a rock band and so his bandmate was like well my dad is a huge collector he has all these retro toys he has all these retro dolls toys and you know he's older he's trying to get rid of some of this stuff now Mm -hmm. a friend of mine from my hometown Joey was the first person I've ever had a crush on in my whole life in America. And I remember the day that I met Joey because he was wearing a Green Day American Idiot t-shirt. I have a photographic memory. A friend of a friend said that his dad, Ron, was getting rid of all these retro toys. I go and I catalog. I start cataloging some of the stuff. One of the things that he had was like a 1963 Frankenstein doll. It was just like, oh yeah, I'm getting rid of that. And it's like one out of 500 things he has. And I, I started cataloging some of these things. And that's everything from like Pez to New York Mets to a lot of things. I was in Dallas and I met this collector of horror movie props and horror movie merchandise. So when I was at Collectech Summit, I met a collector of horror movie props that I caught minor feels for. When he was showing me all of his ghost face merchandise and his like other horror movie, his like black robes. And he's like, this one's from 1977. I got this one at an auction. I found this one at a thrift shop and I was like oh my gosh what do you think about this and I just pull up the choosy page for my friend's dad's 
Ron, like, his Frankenstein doll from 1963. And he's, like, like he's having such a hard time getting rid of it. And he's, like, oh, my God, I've never seen something that cool. That's, like, older than everything that I have. And I'm, like, he's, like, he's, he's selling it? Okay, all right. I got to make a profile on your app. And I was, like, okay, mm-hmm. good. It was something that someone else was just so ready to, like, pass on. And a younger collector, right, is, is so inspired by it. Younger collectors are still expanding on their collections. Younger collectors don't even have that much stuff yet. But the older ones want to find someone, and even better, they love to tell their stories. They would love to have somebody not only take on the stuff, but it just makes them also feel better that there's like a sense of legacy over it. There there might be somebody that is inspired to create new collections, right? I'm glad you actually brought up legacy because I wanted to wrap up with that. Could you talk about how you are carrying on the torch for your dad? Oh, absolutely. My wheat goofy, jolly dad, Elvis. I am leading my every choice I make in life with curiosity and with passion and just living like my best life, honestly. And I don't discard my commitments and I don't discard my passions. My dad has always been true to the person that he is, to the people he loves, to the things that he is passionate about. I find myself to be the same way. So when people are like, what's the best thing that you love about yourself? It's that nothing stops me. Like nothing makes me wanna give up. You've heard from my mom. Now, let's switch it over to Grandpa. What was interesting to me is that they're creating their own history. If you come to America from another country, you're going to name yourself Elvis. You're going to name yourself Shirley. These are uh, famous stars of the country. Shirley then decides that anything that's got her name on it, she wants to collect it. What is collecting? Collecting is really wanting to share memories. It's creating your own history, in this case, being part of maybe a great event, maybe being part of a great piece of artwork about the coins of the country or the stamps. What are they? They're commemorating different historical moments of the country or of your family or of other countries. So you're talking about collecting is also part of memories. There's people where they're taking movies, they're taking pictures, they accumulate them for 40 or 50 years. What was interesting in the conversation is that what do you do with all of these collections if somebody dies? And the answer is that the person who's going to die is hoping that things that had meaning to them can be passed on to future generations where they'll remember them by remembering the thing that they have, that they think that that will have part of their continuum. You know, your father, of course, has collected things as well, stamps and baseball cards and comic books, and did it with different friends. And it is a a nice gathering of people that want to do similar things. Or as you know, my, my mom collected Barbie dolls and coins and stamps as well as different pieces of jewelry, where again, she wants to be able to share some of what makes her feel good with her children and her children's children. And as you know, my sister went bananas over fighting with another sister over a Barbie doll where she now has a thousand Barbie dolls, okay? And then still ended up getting the Barbie doll that they were fighting over 20 years later or 30 years later. So people, I think, are very comfortable in being part of a history. What's interesting to me as well is that you would hope that if you're part of a history, that you learn the lessons of history 
and try to correct things so that we can move forward to look towards the future because we know the lessons of the past. And yet, how many times do we repeat the same mistakes that we should have learned from the history of our experiences already? And what is books? What is a podcast? What are newspapers? What is TV shows? They're trying to also collect memories and a history of where we came from and hopefully share it with future generations so that they have things that they will want to share and keep that continuum going. That's what a family legacy is all about, is to try to see if you can uplift and live past your lifetime by sharing your experiences, your knowledge, and having it passed down to future generations. And even God himself gives us the responsibility to pass on the history that God has had with his people and with earthlings and with the Jewish people to be able to pass on his wisdom that's written in the Bible or in the Torah and be able to say, hey, we have an essence to be able to follow some simple rules so that humanity has a chance to mature and grow and where there's opportunity to have wonderful things on this planet if we can uh, all stick together and create and learn from the history of where we came from and what we're supposed to do. And speaking of all sticking together, I even brought Alicia into the fold. Vibes oh, by got, Alicia. And she got very excited to also be part of the collecting. And she also got very excited about sharing someone's history. And that's what the Better Call Daddy show is all about, is let's share history, let's share experiences, let's all participate and learn and come up with better answers and solutions for the future. I love that. It's a collective. One final thought. I don't know how many times I've seen where somebody passes on a wedding ring. They pass it on to their, their children who then pass it on to their grandchildren. What's really worth something? Is it the ring, the beautiful diamond ring? Or is it the shared memory of the bliss of marriage from one generation to the other, where they're hoping to have that marriage continuum as well? I find that to be fascinating also, where somebody is wearing a, a great-grandmother or a grandmother's ring, where there's a new partnership, a new history to be made from an old history. I find that to be fascinating. Oh, it's just like somebody wearing somebody else's wedding dress. Does that tie <laughs> you to the kind of wedding that they had? Well, this is the thing. We're trying to pass on our traditions and our love. We're trying to pass on memories, sometimes through things. But at the end of the day, at the end of life, some of those things get just thrown away into the garbage because the value is not necessarily worth the same thing than that sentimental value or the experience that one had in collecting it. Sometimes that gets lost and dollars and cents, even at the end of the game, you don't take any of that money with you. You don't take any of your things with you. So you're hoping also that you can be able to share some of your experiences, some of your wisdom, some of your material things, some of your money with future generations so that they can have what you're hoping is a continuum of your legacy as I've tried to follow up and do a legacy of previous generations that I have talked to and keep the train riding. And uh, hopefully, uh, Rena, you will live a long time and we'll see multi-generations still from, from here and be able to pass on some of the lessons that you receive from your grandparents, from your parents, and be able to follow through and not only help you with your children, but your children's children and children's children as well. And where that's the way I think we live on. Amen. All right. I like it. Thanks for listening. Now I think I'm going to go call my dad. <laughs> 
I'll say goodbye and see you the next time. Thanks for listening to the Better Call Daddy show. Join us weekly for new episodes and more daddy wisdom. Better Call Daddy is good advice always. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and share. You can also find special episodes on my YouTube channel, and you can listen on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Amazon Music, Alexa, or your preferred podcatcher. That's wrap for now.